The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA Postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ring RC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? Very well indeed. Chipper, all the above. Chipper and all of the above. Yeah, yeah, good vibes. Very happy indeed. Very happy. Is that because England are through to their first final in our lifetime? It's actually because I'm doing the podcast with you, Ryan. But oh yes, it's also God. <laughs> Powdering to the base. <laughs> Somehow. From all of the VAR controversy over the last couple of days, and that is still the worst decision. <laughs> Doing a podcast with me. Well, yeah, bloody hell, football. Here we are again. Here we are at last. We will get on to the football in a little bit, but first, some admin. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, getting vaccinated yep, yep. if you can. Oh, wish I could bottle up and inject the energy that has been going on this week. Good <laughs> grief. Quick note, thanks to everyone who purchased the Stadio Pride logo tee. Yep, yep. Uh, they're off sale now. They're getting screen printed and they'll be shipped out, uh, I think, in the middle of July. Other bits of admin, ringer.com forward slash soccer. We used to add a piece go up about Italy's win over Spain. Yep. Uh, i got a Peggy piece should be up today. It might be up by the time you listen to this. Um, I've got a messy piece coming up soon as well. Do you? Yeah, I mean, all your uh, pieces are messy. Am I right? Messy or Kwonga? Oh dear, the messiest. That's what yeah. he's known. There you go, people. A little glimpse behind the curtains. What Musa is known to his closest friends. <laughs> messy Musa or Kwonga? Oh no, it's mess shame. <laughs> mess shaming on the podcast. <laughs> Mess K on podcast. Uh, everyone, think, everyone thinks he's got it all together. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Good 
Oh, Lord. There it is. So Moose has got a messy piece going on. Lovely. We'll talk a little bit about messy later. Righty's house. We're recording Friday. That's going to be a, a final preview, Euro final preview. And obviously we'll talk about England with Righty. And then, yeah, there'll be a, a Stadio or Righty's house on Monday. Not sure who, which way around we're going to do it yet, but that's quite yep. cool. Keep them, keep them guessing. Indeed. And then we're off for a bit, which is nice. Wow. I know it's stretching out before me like an ocean that <laughs> next month. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. If you want to listen to all the music we play out with each episode, search for Stadio Outro's on Spotify. And I think that is all the admin. So today we're going to talk about the two Euro semifinals. I'm going to touch on a little bit. We're going to touch on the Copa America a little bit later as well because the finals this weekend. And boy, oh boy, is it a big one. The biggest one, perhaps. No, don't do that. You Come on, you've got to go big, got to go, go big. Extremist, leftist, Marxist, contrarian. Knee. I'm actually doing this podcast while taking the knee. <laughs> if I sound short of breath, it's because I've been kneeling throughout the entire course of this podcast. <laughs> if, I, if I sound out of breath, it's because, as the white guy on the podcast, I've been booing the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the football after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. <laughs> the football. England 2, Denmark 1. After extra time at wow. Wembley Stadium, uh, the scenes were unbelievable. Extraordinary scenes. And that was just the little tiny car. <laughs> <laughs> it's back. <laughs> it's bad. That, that tiny car driving the ball around is much beloved, isn't it? I have major beef with this tiny car. Really? How so? Well, because it got his Twitter account verified. And uh, they didn't Ahead verify Stadio on my own. <laughs> <laughs> How does a tiny car get verified? Then again, it probably has more impersonators than I was going to say, it probably has more personality than Anyway. well. Uh, the tiny little car was not the star of the show. It tried to be. It did. But it was not. I don't even know where to begin with this game because a game decided on something that it, it probably didn't de- deserve to get decided upon. On. I think that's right. And that's that right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. England conceding their first goal of the tournament and I'm 50-50 on this because I think you're going to concede a goal in the tournament. Not a bad one to concede. Right. Very good free kick. Outstanding free kick. Pickford probably could have done a little bit better, but also sometimes it is what it is. Well, Seb Stafford Law, the fine keeper in his day, pointed out the ball basically moves like three times before it gets to Pickford. He said it was doing a lot in the air, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, you could tell that from real time, actually. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a ball usually at the top level doesn't go that centrally off a free kick and, and go in yeah. unless it's doing a lot of... A lot of wiggling. Wiggly ball. <laughs> Wiggly and it can ball. be said for the record that, yeah, I, I also said at the time when I was watching, I was watching in a bar with some friends, or outside a bar with some friends, and um, I, I looked at it and I was like, you know what, um, I feel bad about this. 
I had a bad feeling before. I had a bad feeling before the kick was taken because it was the way that Denmark were winning possession dangerous areas. Mm. It's very much a kind of strategy to conserve their energy and find themselves in dangerous positions. So yeah, I felt bad about it. It was a glorious free kick. Um, my my main issue yeah. was probably with the free kick, like giving the free kick away in the first place. Well, exactly that. But then also the way the Denmark won it was clever because the way they were standing and bunching it, mm. they, they were really clever what they were doing. They did it at the corners as well, where they just congest all the space and they stand unnaturally close to each other. Clever football team, man. Very clever. Yeah, yeah, very smart. But yeah, obviously Mikkel Damsgaard fired it in. It all went a little bit wobbly for a bit because obviously England in a position that they've not been in in the entire tournament. Well, actually, I want to talk about it being wobbly because let's look at the opening, I would say, 15, 20 minutes. England looked particularly, you know, really, really good. Yeah. The really first good. 15 minutes, I would say. And then the clever thing that Denmark did was almost like, they almost played it like a kind of, it was Champions League fixtures where away goals are still a thing. Mm-hmm. And they absorbed the pressure and they, a lot of people remarked they looked, they looked tired. I can't speak to that. But I, was, I will say I was surprised that Denmark didn't come out with the intensity we saw against let's say other teams, perhaps because they weren't, you know, playing at home or playing off a particular level of emotion. But you see the way they contrast their start against Belgium mm. to their start against, which for various fact, for various reasons was mm. more intense, but the start against Belgium compared to the start against England, where they were very actively conceding ground and they've got a midfield that can press. They chose not to. They absorbed that shock for the first 15 minutes and then were really good at breaking up play. And I thought what was interesting was they were attacking the centre mm. with England. Well, so a, yeah. lot of, a lot of their joy came down the middle, didn't it? Which is something that not a lot of sides have done in the tournament. The only two that really did it were, were Scotland. And uh, after they switched to four at the back, Ukraine kind of had a little mm. bit of a go at them. Maybe Germany to a limited extent with some of Harvard's Actually, movement. yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the couple of chances that Germany had, especially in the first half in that Germany yes. game, when yeah, it, yeah. it looked like Germany had really the control of the midfield, they mm. just went down the centre of England. And um, that was a worry, I think. Mm. That was... I think that if you can penetrate the England midfield and go right at the centre-backs with, they use a lovely footballing word, intent. Yes, if you yes, attack with intent. with intent. Yeah. Imagine attacking without intent. Is that, yeah. Oh, I'm just kind of going for it. I'm not really that into it. Yeah, you know. Oh, um, what's this? Oh, we call it football tantrica. We're just, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right, man. I think it did cause England a few problems. And I think the okay, I think it was a tricky one because obviously there were way more fans in the stadium than we've seen in, in the stadium for a long time in England specifically. Mm. You've got England to their second semi-final in a row in a major tournament, which is, I don't think that England have done that since the winning the World Cup of 66. And I think they went to the semi-finals of the Euros in 68. So it's the first time that's happened since then. It was a big occasion. You know, you've got a lot of, as well as the footballing thing, you've got the whole kind of, what's happened over the past 18 months, like two years, like you could extend that in England to, I would say the UK specifically, but in this sense, England for the last five right, years, absolutely. to be honest. Yeah. A lot of what this team represents, a lot of how the country is like connected to this team and then the footballing occasion as well. So it sounds like a little bit, you know, adding more and more and more importance and meaning to a game then maybe you should. But I think a lot of that was wrapped up in the occasion and the kind of, uh, the atmosphere this yes, weekend. Yeah. Uh, this week, sorry. But Denmark just didn't really look that overawed by, I don't think, until maybe the second half. England got the goal back, obviously, as Simon Extremely Kier, important to goal. get that back. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, the timing of it was imperative. It was absolutely imperative that I think England got back on level terms before halftime. 
I think it was important as well because what excited me about that goal was the way that they kept playing the same football they were in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. It was almost like 15 minutes, great start, slightly fell off, looked a bit more ragged um, and Denmark made some real inroads mm. from set pieces and centrally in, in open play. But the beauty of that goal was that it was, it was such a vindication. It was a vindication of the selection of, Sa- of Bukayo Sako, who put in a great assist. Yeah. It was a vindication of the decision not to hit the ball high. The Indian, England seemed to use a lot more crosses along the ground mm-hmm. than, than, air, than, than in the air. And that was almost like, that must have been a conscious choice because throughout they were driving across six yard box, cutting it back. There weren't so many cutbacks in previous games, I think, or the previous two games. So yeah, to get that goal back before halftime is so important because it meant it was sort of structurally secure in terms of England's plan. And it, when the second half started, I turned to a friend and I said, look, I'm, I'm actually quite calm about this because England now know that the plan works. Mm-hmm. They've got, I would suppose, you know, if you use a boxing analogy, they've got like a bloody nose from the first the opening rounds. But you almost need your head rocked a bit before you can kind of get into the serious business of winning the game. I thought it was quite ironic that uh, Bakayi Saka was causing mischief on Loki Day. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice to see. Honestly, if Marvel, uh, if Marvel, I mean, no chance they listen to this podcast, but whoever, if anyone gets Ian Wright doing Loki season two promo, you imagine. Dude, like, Bakayo Saka needs to be in the universe. Kind of is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, shouts to Andrew Blair who um, sent us the meme of Bakayo Saka joining in with the Avengers on the unicorn. <laughs> the inflatable unicorn. <laughs> so maybe he could be in there, man. He could be, he could be the next Avenger. I don't know. Yeah, well, if, in a way he's already in it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, <laughs> him on the back of that unicorn is like something from Doctor Strange's multiverse. Boy, is he fucking up the timeline. Yeah, he is. He is. My God. But anyway, one all at half time. Yeah. And it would stay that way until the 104th minute. I'm surprised they didn't win in normal time. Me too. The way they were playing at halfway, uh, uh, the halfway point. Mm. And what I love about what Southgate's done throughout is he never changes too much. If you can see... He's very patient. If you look at other coaches who've gone out at this point, it's very easy to be retrospect in hindsight, but not giving the team too many adjustments to deal with. Yeah, tiny tweets you know, every game. It's like that thing I tweeted. But then you look at, uh, you, know, and, you know, players like Luke Shaw again, who have a run of games who are just looking superb at this point. Shaw just, he glides at this point. And then Sterling, you know, Sterling went to a different level against Ukraine. This is the thing. Sterling hasn't scored in the last two games, but has produced arguably his best performances. Uh, yeah, I think he's Obviously. been, he, even though his goals got England through the group, his performances have definitely been better in the last two games, I think. It's wild, right? Like, there was one point he gets possession in extra time when England are 2-1 up and just weaves through two, three people. In fact, after the, it's funny, he set the tone of the first 10 seconds of this match, I think. Mm. He beats like two players and then he's gone. Mm. You're like, yeah, he's locked in at this point. He's completely locked in. But yeah, but fast forward to the 104th minute. Sorry. Well, actually, before, 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 you, before we do, like, you mentioned something about like managers changing a little bit soon. I think you saw this in the Denmark substitutions. Like Kasper Hjelman made three changes just after the hour mark when he brought on Daniel Vass, Josef Paulsen and Christian Nurgaard. He made two more before the end of the, of the 90 minutes. And I think if you compare and contrast that to England substitutions, they only made one sub in normal time. That was Grealish on Fasaka after about 70 minutes. And actually, weirdly, I thought England dipped a little bit in that 20 minutes before the end of the game, ever so slightly. That's funny because I, I agreed with the change. It was kind of a sacrifice. It was a bit like when you know, because Sancho is so effective in the inside left channel mm. and can play right. He can. 
but you're almost there more as Sancho was almost a deterrent against Ukraine, I thought. Mm. And the thing is, a lot of England's playmakers do like playing in that inside left pocket. So it's kind of, someone's going to take a bit of a hit, I think, mm. whoever, whoever kind of comes in on that sub. That's the thing, like the way that they were lining up and the way that certain people were playing, I think that Southgate was just like, you can't, you can't just chuck everyone on here. Like I no, thought true, Sancho could, I thought Sancho might have made an appearance, but I also think, I was also looking at it in the second, like second period of extra time and I was thinking, you could bring Bellingham on here, actually it might be a good, might be a good thing. But, but I think Southgate was very clever in that in that he just wanted like solidity and experience and that's brave but also it kind of goes to what we've said before about Southgate throughout the whole tournament he has such concrete belief in the plan yes that he never really panics even though there's only a goal in it in extra time it's funny about the plan because you just said solidity and experience and I'm thinking Mason Mount is the embodiment of solidity and experience isn't that incredible 18 months ago if you'd said that but it's true. You see Mason Mount. I see Mason Mount on that team. I'm like, great. You know, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, yeah. good. I know what we're getting. And but like in bringing on Henderson, for example, for Declan Rice was a very smart move. Yes. You know? yes and, actually, and actually, weirdly, even though he's only a very young man himself, but bringing on Phil Foden for Mason Mount at that time, I thought was a very smart move as well, because I think T- Mason Mount had done really well, but was looking understandably a little bit leggy because of it. You know, he had that COVID break yeah. as well. And then bringing on Trippier for, for Grealish. And I really loved Grealish's response to this. Miguel Delaney tweeted that, you know, Southgate tried to explain his decision to Grealish and apparently Grealish, Grealish said, Gaffer, I don't care, we're in the semi-final. Uh, we're in the what final. Amazing. Can I say this about Grealish? Before I get into Denmark subs very quickly, what I love about Grealish is he's exactly who we thought he was in all the best ways. Yep. You know, we, we, we joked about that. Grealish and like, you know, playing with Barkley at Villa. We joked about the kind of person he was off the pitch and like, that's exactly who he is. Like in the loveliest way. He's yeah. a good dude. Um, one thing I want to say about the Denmark subs very quickly. When I saw those subs, I was relieved because mm. he took us some excellent players, but I also thought to myself, they must be exhausted. They look knackered. Yeah, that, that yeah. to me was not a tactical change in the sense that that was, a, that was not a tactical change. That was about you know, physical resources because they've played a lot of minutes mm-hmm. and they played at a very high intensity and they've been traveling a lot. And those, you know, that, that wear and tear adds up. You know, the yeah, way that- I mean, the they, way played, that, they played in Azerbaijan. Did they play in Azerbaijan? And then they went to, I think they played um, Amsterdam, Azerbaijan, and then Wembley, I think. I think they did the quarterfinal in Azerbaijan against uh, Czech Republic. Yeah, they put the miles. I mean, that trip in itself is just, but I think if you, so you've seen the people through to the finals, all played their, their group games at home. So, although, you know, also Denmark through to the semifinal, played all their home games, um, played all their group games at home, Spain. Yeah went to the semi-finals, played all the group games at home. All right, let's talk about the, uh, the big old elephant in the room. Yes, let's talk about it. I'm going to say penalties. The penalties, yes. Because I think the first one on Kane is a penalty. Yes, I thought it was a yeah. And I, I like, could not believe penalty. that it was a given. When it went to I VAR, um, I was like, oh, great. Yeah, it's a definite penalty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On German TV, they had Manuel Grafer, the recently retired Bundesliga ref, as their expert. But unlike in the UK, they don't keep him in a cupboard like Peter Walton. He's, he's there with the rest of the guests, but he's got a lovely spacious studio. Yeah, he's very welcome. He's not a, he's not a pariah. <laughs> he said it was a penalty. And yeah. then when it went to VAR, I couldn't believe that it wasn't 
overturned. It, it was even clearer. It was even, it was even yeah. clearer. Yeah, when I was, I was like, this the, is a penalty. The one that was given, I am 50-50 on. So just, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in in a minute, Musa. But just before I forget. So I don't think it was a dive for a start. That's one thing I want to clarify. I don't think it was a dive. There were two moments of contact from two different defenders on Raheem Sterling. Yeah. And I think that this is one of those ones that was very similar to the, was it the Doku penalty for Belgium? Yes. The where Doku we, one, where yeah. we said, like, actually, when you slow those down, yeah. they look really ropey. But when you're traveling yeah. in the moment and you get a knot, uh, like a nudge and the balance goes, there was two, there was two part, parts of, con- uh, two moments of contact for the Sterling thing, which I think, did he go down a little bit easy? Yeah. Do players go have to go down a, a bit easy? Yeah. I don't think it was a dive at all. I don't, and that's not me being England biased at all. I just don't think it was a dive. If it wasn't given, I would have probably been okay with that, actually. I don't think it was a penalty at all. And I, I people talked about diving. It's funny. I, I didn't see, when I first saw him go down, see Doku, the Belgium Italy penalty, I just thought was a clear penalty. And I, I was mm. amused. People said, oh no, this is no way it's spot kick. I was like, no, like, look, he burns him for speed. Yeah. He clips him and it's gone. That is like a, that is an obvious clear penalty to me because you see the deviation of like his run, all the move, all of it. Sterling, I see him go down and I'm like, I don't know what was given you contact to go down like that. I don't think he's slipped. The people said he simulated, he dived. Well, look, I'm open to that. Like, I don't know what's in a player's head, but I'm open to the suggestion that he did because frankly, like I didn't see, I didn't see any contact that would have made him go. I didn't see any contact on Sterling until he was actually falling already. Mm. Right. So when I saw it, I'm like, okay, that's no, how are they reviewing that? And they gave it after reviewing it. And so a lot of people, when I said, like, I referred to like Kane's, I tweeted about Kane's penalty and a lot of people replied to me going, are oh, like, that's not penalty. And I was like, well, actually I, I, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't have me looking at it in real time, looking at it again. I'm yeah, like, I wouldn't have given it. I, I don't think it was a penalty. I don't think it no. was. But I think I, the first I, one I do definitely think, was. Yeah, I think so. But I think you are on the side of caution as well. This is what, another reason I think it's not a penalty is I think also you are on the side of caution um, in relation to penalty awards. So I don't see how you can be emphatic it's a penalty. Do you know what I think it was? It was, it was, it was very like cricket, actually. It was like sticking with the on-field decision. That's interesting. Yes, that's interesting. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because that, that makes consistent, that's consistency of both choices. Because that's what it? they both did. They both, they stuck with the on-field decision on both. So that, I think that, that must be the clear, and it's, it's that horror. I think Derek Ray tweeted about it actually, where it falls in. He's, he's quite good on VAR review stuff. Mm. Um, and it falls into that kind of huge, gigantic gray zone where it's probably not a penalty. Mm. I mean, yeah, I don't think it was a penalty to be honest, the second one. But the referee has given it and by the checklist, there isn't a clear and obvious error because there are two points of contact. Yes. So they're kind of like, yeah, just give it. Whereas I don't, th- I don't think it, the f- I don't think the second one was, I think the first one was, and I'm not justifying that for the second one to be given. I think England, it's one of those games where England more than deserved it. Mm. Should have won it quite comfortably actually in, it, I think in normal time, but definitely in extra time. But you have a ropey decision. Yes. That, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That uh, decides it. And also we need to talk about the fact that like the second ball on the pitch. Yes. To the point where I was, I was just, I was finishing up a piece whilst watching the game and I looked up and I was just like, oh, there's a balloon. 
Because I was just like, it has to be a balloon because they've just right. run past something that looks kind of spherical on a football pitch and no one's doing anything. So it must have been a balloon. The fact that it turned out to be a football. It's wild. In the semifinals of the European Championships. Right. Can I say there's been something strange going on with a couple of things like that um, this tournament. See when um, Ayatharba went to take his penalty in the shootout mm. and he had to walk over to the side. I'm like, they're not stewards like giving you the ball back. Like I've never seen a player have to walk that far to retrieve a ball and put it on the spot. Mm. Like there's, there's a couple of weird things have gone on like that at this tournament. I'm like, why, why is that happening? Are we like understaffed in these areas or something? Like, also, one yeah. thing I want to just talk about finally on the penalty was just like, whoever was signing the laser at Gaspar Michael, just like BA, what's that? Like, do you remember when there was a massive phase of that in the Classico? Yeah, people's eyes. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. Just, it's just so, like, what are you doing? Man? It's the level you're taking, when you're taking things to that level, and I think, you know what it was? It's, it's so... It's petty and it's ugly. And some might say, oh, that's not part of football. Unfortunately, it is because a lot of people are into that. Um, and on, man, lasers. It's, it's pathetic. And here's the thing as well. That really just highlights the amount of fear there was of Kasia Schmeichel because he looked locked in. And that is not a man you want to face in a penalty shootout because no, he, had the, it was, yeah. he had the look of destiny all over him. Really. Yeah. I mean, that man was clawing the ball out of any corner. And he got a load of shit online earlier in the day about the, um, the it's coming home question that he answered in the press conference before and I thought he actually handled it amazingly really well. well yeah they cut the clip at quite a convenient point but he goes on afterwards being like he's like you know I'm more focused on Denmark and what this means for Denmark like we're we're a country of five and a half million people love it and I'm focused on you know bringing it back to Denmark and the joy that that would bring yeah I just thought it was actually a very very fair answer he was just like I don't focus on the England national team like I'm focusing on Denmark you know some of his saves as well I don't really know what else to say about this game apart from you know, England through to the first, their first final since the 1966 World Cup, which is kind of bizarre, but you called it, so you're, fi- you're fine with it. <laughs> you're all right with it. Musa's, Musa's Nostradamus uh, <laughs> strikes again. Well, to be honest, you know, one of us had to get one fucking prediction right. For this oh my tournament. God, yeah. Look at my predictions of the final and everything else. But yeah, yeah. I think I'm better at making predictions when I'm, if I don't have to sit down and really go nuts and bolts and everything because football is just so unpredictable. Yeah. It's inherently chaotic. Yeah, it's inherently chaotic. Especially at the end of the season that's been, yeah, I mean, I had uh, France-Spain for the final and I thought Spain would have done it. We'll talk about Spain after the break, but um, yeah, any words on England? We're going to save the rest for Wrighty's house? Yeah, we'll save the rest. We'll save the rest. England ultra Ian Wright in the house. <laughs> I mean, obviously we, we, have, we didn't even mention that Kane uh, didn't want the actual penalty to decide the game. No, very, true. Very, I mean, very sporting. Also the, yeah. But to, go, to follow up like that, that's something that's really, um, that's really important. You know, that's expected mm. of a striker. Yes, absolutely. But we saw, I think it was um, Murata following up from mm-hmm. was it Moreno's save penalty. It's so important to stay locked in. Yep. There's so much chaos immediately after the penalty is saved because everyone just crashes the box. Mm-hmm. And keeping that nerve at that point, you know, Kane now... He's having a great tournament from a goal yeah, scoring perspective too. Looking great, especially because he didn't start scoring until the knockouts. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got four now. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. Gareth Southgate again, handling it extremely well. Uh, to the point where Gary Neville was the wrath of the keep politics out of football brigade, mate. <laughs> Gary Neville, man. I can't, yeah. Whenever I think of it now, I can't stop thinking about Ken Early's thing about <laughs> Lenin. About Lenin. <laughs> the quality of the leaders of this country over the last two years has been poor. 
That's a leader right there, Gareth Southgate. Humble, respectful, tells the yeah. truth. But you know what's funny about the timing of those comments is because everyone is watching them. That's the the funny thing about that moment is you've got what, like 20 odd million people watching yeah. that in the UK. So that's like, and this is why I think, and we'll, we won't get too much into this because we talked about this elsewhere. And I wrote a piece for The Guardian about this. Yes, you did. About, Everyone go read it. We posted on the tw- on the Stadio Twitter. Yeah, it's just about this England team, what they represent and how, you know, they have won, I would not even say symbolic victories, but they've won um, social victories in terms of just the celebration of kindness and compassion and just being fundamentally decent people. And that's been driven by Southgate to a huge extent. So I've talked about that a lot elsewhere. I won't talk about too much here. But I think that is the problem for people who've come out against this team and been very critical. You see it in other sports as well. You see it in basketball when LeBron James is outspoken and people are rooting for him to fail. And if he fails on the field, then it's like, well, you see, he failed because he was outspoken. But now it's very difficult for a lot of people that criticise England for being outspoken about these things before they even kicked a ball in this tournament. And that was the guts of it, actually, Ryan. This was really brave by Southgate because this was pressure. They, this was additional pressure they didn't need, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough playing at home. You know, this is effectively a home tournament for England. You know, mm-hmm. it really is. It's a home yeah, tournament yeah, for them. Is, yeah. So they could have gone with the flow. They could have kept their noses clean. They could have just kept it all about the football. But funnily enough, I wonder if the outspokenness has galvanized them. Yeah, I, because, do. I think so. Because they're not united around <clears throat> something negative. They're united around a celebration. They're united about the fact that there's a bunch of them in that dressing room from different backgrounds. And it's like, we're going to root for each other. And we're going to root for everyone, regardless of where they're from, which is such a beautiful universal message, right? And there are people that said that's not a good thing to be celebrated. But I think what's funny is I think they've won over a lot of people, Ryan. Well, they've, uh, they've won over Pretty Patel, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gesture politicking now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, here, here's a picture of me in my England shirt celebrating. Yes, come on, England. Gesture politics. I wrote a reply to her tweet. I basically wrote criticizing her, her immigration policy. And the funny, Ryan, I howled with laughter. I got a really spiky reply from someone who's only tweeted like 150 times. And they like saved one for me. They're like, they've got this huge following on Twitter, but they replied to me and I was like, wow, rattled, you see? You know Ooh. what you are. Yeah, they know what they are. They know what they are. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot of that, if you think about a lot, a lot of that England team, well, the whole England squad has been gone after by members of the government at one point. Yeah. It resonates in a far different way than any England team. Like you said in your yeah. piece, it's just like, I, I, I don't think I've felt more connected to an England team in my lifetime. Likewise, yeah. Before we move on from this, finally, I thought that the taking a knee at the beginning and the applause given by the Denmark players, I thought was such a lovely, lovely Beautiful. moment, yes. actually. And before we move on finally from this, I want to give Denmark a lot of love because they have had an extremely unthinkable start to the tournament. And the way that they have played football and actually tried to move on from that narrative of Christian Eriksen and make it more about the football in the latter stages. Which it became. This yeah. is the thing. It became it really look, became that way. You watched some of their performances. They were... The goals they scored, the range were, of goals. They were yeah. in the semi-final because they deserved to be in the semi-final. Right. And I thought Wrighty's uh, piece on Tuesday on ITV about how how this, this team should not be disrespected, I think you saw that on on Wednesday. Like this could have very easily gone to, like just as, just as much as England should have won this, I think in normal time, I don't think that would have been an unfair result. This very much could have gone to penalties. 
Yes. And Denmark could very much have been in the final on Sunday. Yeah. And it's like Kasper Schmeichel said, you know, this is a nation of five and a half million people who have been through a horrendous opening game, you know, lost that game, remember, after going back out there less than two hours later to play it. I cannot praise Denmark enough, I don't think. I just can't. I think they've been, they've been an absolute joy, this tournament. Yeah. Um, the way that they've handled so many difficult circumstances and just like the thing, like applauding taking the knee on Wednesday as well, I just thought. Absolute class, yeah. Just, just a good bunch, you know. And um, yeah, they can, they can go out without, you know, any, what's the word? There's no, there's no shame for them going out of this tournament at the semi-final stage. And I think they've, they've done an unbelievable job. Some of my favourite individual performers of the tournament as well. Yeah, same. Actually. Really, yeah. And I'm glad that Dolberg got his shine. You know, yeah. he had a difficult time. His career went a bit sideways, but he can kick on from there, hopefully. Mm. Yeah. Um, they scored some glorious goals. They really did. They've been, a, yeah. they've been one of the highlights of the tournament, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else on this game? No, I think we're good. All right, let's take a quick break. Italy won, Spain won, Italy going through on penalties to the final. I think this was my favourite game of the tournament so far. Do you know, I would agree with that because people were like, oh, Belgium, Italy slip in the final. And I was like, okay, I can see that. This took it to a different level. Yeah, this because, the final. Because Italy were supreme against Belgium for long periods. And Spain, Spain made them look human. Spain really made, and that's no disrespect to Italy, like what Spain produced in particular in the middle of the field. And when I say the middle of the field, I include the midfield through, but add Donny, Danny Olmo to that mm. and his combination play. They were extraordinary in that opening, that opening half. They were mind-blowingly good. Like the, the way that they would get, the way they draw in Italy into like midfield spaces and then just play out with turns, just like, you know, diagonal, like five, 10 yard passes. It was unbelievable. It was like um, watching someone like fillet, fillet a fish or something when you, you, you use, you know, you use a steak knife down the flesh mm. and all of a sudden you just peel it and the thing just falls open. And they would do that time and again to a midfield that until that point had had, you know, supreme command of most games. Mm -hmm. Busquets just, you know, I, I, was, I said this in my piece, like, you know, the, the golden rule of midfield is you do not allow Busquets to walk. Nope. If you allow Busquets to walk, he will destroy you. <clears> and he did it. He did it. And Pedri was, of course, Pedri was Pedri. I thought all of that midfield three was great. Yeah. The game had like a really sinister edge to it, I think, for the first half an hour. It had this energy of just, this feels like something that's going to be epic. But at the moment, it's at that stage where it's like, it was fraught. I thought that first half was completely fraught. It was, it was because I think, but I think the reason it felt like that, the reason it was disorientating is because Italy had swaggered into this match. They mm -hmm. had swaggered into it. And you know, we knew about Spain, we knew about their challenges, but this was like, and I think I've said this before, Italy showed us how good Spain were. Yeah. Italy showed us how good Spain, this Spain team is, is brilliant. And if this Spain team had literally just finished one of those two chances in the first half, yeah, it would have been clear and a confirmation of just how good they were. And it was, you know, Ayatharbo started as false nine, people criticised that choice, but great analysis, I think was Michael Cox saying how that gave um, the opportunity for them to like pack the midfield. Mm -hmm. So it's like Italy, it's weird. It's like, so Spain did, Spain did to Italy what Spain had done to Italy in the uh, 2012 final, actually. 
where you add extra bodies to midfield with a false nine configuration, flood the midfield and then play out from that and create chances. The problem was that Ayotharbo's finishing touch deserted him in this game in a way that mm. hadn't in previous matches. I think actually, and some will criticise that change. I liked that tactical change actually. And I think, it, I think it worked. It, it worked, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because those two had added so much uh-huh. at crucial points of the tournament, they'd earned that start. And I just wonder if they're going to look at that and think, oh, they got away from us. Because I think that tactically Enrique got this right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, Danny Olmo had that one in the first half that he could have put away. Yes, Koke got one. Uh, Koke got one. Is it Oyafaba? Yes, Oyafaba got one from Pedri. Yeah, and he kind of just like almost ran past it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Spain had the chances. You know, obviously, Morata got the goal. It really saddens me that he couldn't even have his moment. Like, you know, I this know. was he came on, and you know, it was uh, they, Chiesa had put Italy ahead with a beautiful goal what and a goal as well. And what a break that was! Yeah, I mean, well, this, is the thing. this actually, this actually yeah. highlights yeah. the one thing that Spain had as a weakness through the tournament, which I think the way that the reason that they were so dominate or like con, like so focused on controlling through midfield was because as good a ball players as their defense is, when you run at them, you can you can really hurt them. There's and joy I think there, they yeah. kind of knew yeah. that. I mean, you saw yes. it kind of against Croatia. Yes. Uh, that was a big, big scare for them. They only beat Slovakia in 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's funny, when you look at the Chiesa goal, it's funny because the way that break starts is beautiful. The way that Donovan just rolls it out so calmly. After they've had like, they've under some serious pressure to, to roll it out like that he did was pretty amazing. But the funny thing is when, in, when um, Federico Chiesa gets onto that ball, mm it's loose in the box for too long. Like no one's crashing it. There's not that much pressure on it. You know what I mean? Like when a ball comes clear after a tackle, there should be that like extra level of aggression. You saw mm. with England, for example, Mason Mount at one point, you see him like almost playing in the right back position. And that's what you need, extra bodies. And I think you're right. Spain, Spain had that challenge of not being quite compact enough when it counted. And so they go a goal up uh, Italy with half an hour to go. And the Maratta equaliser, this is the thing. And I have to talk about it only because- it's a lovely goal. He'll get, he'll get so much other criticism, but I think with the pass was by Olmo, great assist. Mm-hmm. But he does this thing where he's the only player at the tournament so far who sent Donnarumma the wrong way in open play. Yep. Lukaku did it from the penalty spot, but to do it in open play, like, and to give him the eyes, he finished like the centre forward everyone wants him to be. Finished with the calmness of someone muting someone on Twitter as opposed to the aggression of blocking. Exactly. And I was like, and there was an, there was an eruption of joy for him. It's why it makes the penalty so sad. So there's a lot of talk about the, um, the shootout and Chiellini, mind gaming, Jordi Alba. Yeah, that was... Talk. A, I mean, that was, that was interesting. Do you know what that had the energy of? That had the energy of like Goodfellas. It did, didn't it? It did. But weirdly, I thought that was done more for the benefit of Italy than it was the disadvantage of Spain. I thought it was more like, this is a shootout. It's fun. We're like all laughing and joking because he was kidding around with everyone. It was more like mm. he was approaching that going, Hey, hey guys, it's a penalty shootout. It's all going to be fine. Mm. Now, it's funny because what will be lost in the narrative, because it's all about, oh, wow, look at the mind games. Italy got all their penalties in nervously. No, they didn't. They had their first one saved, right? Yep. And the crucial penalties actually, and so not, it was Danny Olmos. It was Danny Olmos. Thank that's you. The crucial, Thank that's the you. crucial penalty. Straight and we're not, away after Locatelli misses, the absolute key thing for that is to get it on target at least. Absolutely. That's the crucial miss for yeah, me because it sets the tone. The moment Spain get ahead in the count, it's a different story mm-hmm. because Spain have done well against Italy in shootouts, mm-hmm. right? This is not their first rodeo. They've done well in them. They beat them in 08, I think, in shootout as well. So they know how to do this. And Olmo to me was the crucial miss and he missed the target. And the worst thing about it had been the only part of Olmo's game that had been off 
was that, that penalty. It's the yeah. only thing he put all day. The only he did everything perfectly in the build-up. And the sad thing about this is, you know, we know that Italy were missing Spinazzola, and you saw that he was missing. Yeah, but I think that I thought Emerson did well though. Yes, exactly. And I think Spain missed Ansu Fati far more than Italy missed Spinazzola. I think you have. It sounds strange to say it because he's a teenager. He's younger and than Pedri. And he's not been there at all. But a I think finisher, he would, yeah, no. an experienced, a finisher, someone who you can trust. Do you know who they missed? And they should have chances. taken actually. It was Iago Aspas? You know, you're right. Because yeah. Iago Aspas, you can bring on for the last 15 minutes of a game, and he will probably get one or two chances because he can fit. He can fit into any. He thrives in chaotic situations. I think yeah, like someone like Aspas would have been. I mean, Spain got to the semi-final and pro- and deserved to go through. If we're being frank, yes. Um, and we're kind of saying Luis Enrique should have taken another striker, but I do think that that could have been the difference in this game. Someone that you know is just going to get 15 minutes, and will get at least one or two chances, and will probably score one. You know, this is he, funny. Someone's thing is, yeah. even if he scores one goal in the tournament, if it happens in this game, it's worth taking. You know. This is the funny thing. People are going to look at Spain's goal scoring record in this tournament. They're going to look at the fact they were the only team to score five in two different matches. And they are not going to believe their biggest problems they're finishing. They're not going to believe it. It's so funny. You'll, you'll have to, in years to come, you'll be like, yeah, this team, this team couldn't really finish that well. They'll be like, what, what, what do you mean? It's like, no, it was a thing. It was a thing. The fact that the Spain team of 2010 were better finishers having scored far less goals than this one. This team actually, and this is the, the exciting thing for Spain. This is not to be negative. The exciting thing is, when you're generating that number of chances, you'll find your flow, you'll lock in. Like this was quite a new thing for them. They, you know, there were some bold choices in this squad. He didn't take any Real Madrid players. He could have done that. You know, it could have been the easy way out for Luis Enrique. He could have done things to appease, you know, he could have appeased like people back home, the press back home. He would have had a much easier ride taking Ramos, Sergio Ramos, for example, but he didn't. And some might say, actually, that wasn't the wisest choice. I don't know. I think, I think the one thing, I think the admission of Sergio Ramos was, Slightly harsh, only because we see what we see what he's brought to. You know, he had a great season for Real. I thought I thought he had an outstanding season. Real Madrid had no right being that close to Atleti in no. the title race, and that's Ramos's influence. So I think he was extremely lucky not to go, even if he doesn't start. I mean, also they could use him in the shootout, frankly, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I think I think Sergio Ramos' omission mm-hmm. was a a significant and a lasting mistake, and that will be a legacy point that would be docked off Enrique. But otherwise, Spain played some glorious stuff this tournament. They're a joy to watch and they can, they can look forward to being a major threat at tournaments for the next four to six years with this core. One of the games I enjoyed the most in the tournament was actually the Spain-Sweden game. No, no. Just you called it. it yeah, you like, called it really like, on. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is good. Spain are yeah. good, man. Spain are really, really good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah, Pedri looks totally at home in the Spain side. I mean, let's, let's talk about Pedri in a little bit, but let's talk about Italy first because Mancini has done a really good job over the last couple of years at Italy. You know, they're unbeaten in fuck knows how many games now. But didn't qualify the 2018 World Cup. Exactly. And, and he took charge and he just changed them. Unreal. But sometimes, you know, dark is before the dawn, man. You know, the, yes, you know how it yeah. goes. This is a yeah. really, really good Italy side. And we'll, look, we'll talk about more of, <clears throat> of the matchup on Wrighty's house ahead of the final, but... He's just done an incredible job. I mean, I think they rode their luck a little bit in this game, but yeah. they haven't been tested like this in the tournament and they haven't really played like this in the tournament so far. We've talked about it before and I'm not sure if it's a huge cliche or not, but I think there are certain times where teams are kind of rocked off their axis a little bit 
and they come through it unscathed yes. because they kind of figure out another way to get, another way to problem solve. I think that's really good for confidence and really good. I always for talk about the Germany Algeria game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the World Cup 2014, it's one of those games which is like, could have gone either way. You're beneath your best, but you come through. And the main thing is that you've shown that resilience mm-hmm. and you've been battle tested because. Like, well, like, like England going a goal down against Denmark was extremely important for them. Yeah, because they might go a goal down in the final. They're going to need that, yeah. yeah. If, I think, yeah, go, the shock of going 1-0 down for the first time in the tournament in the final is not where you want to be doing that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You want to have a moment. This I was referring to where I was like, that, that coach actually quite liked that setback. There are certain coaches who were like, I'm glad that my team has had a bit of a scare. Yeah, I can't remember who we were talking about, but we said it about a couple of people, yeah. Might have been Tuckle, actually. Maybe it was, t- yes, yes, Tuchel. I think that's the thing that coaches feel. And Mancini looks at this team now and, you know, you look at, e- even when they were struggling Italy, they were still trying to be aggressive. So you had like Barella, I thought, pressed Busquets quite well, actually. A couple of times dispossessed him. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't at it having all his own way. He wasn't letting, you know, he was making Busquets sing for his supper to an extent. Mm. And you're right, Emerson did really well coming in for Spenazzola. I was really impressed by that. And they knew they weren't going to, Italy knew they weren't going to get much joy mm-hmm. on the front foot against Spain, but then <clears> you had Chiellini just leading really well and Benucci was extremely strong too. I mean, those two are. Yeah, they're just. Wily old foxes. Unreal. They just know exactly what they're doing. Mm. You know, this is the thing. It was Italy, for Italy for so long, one the sort of characteristics of the national play is defence as an art form. Mm. As, a, as an art, you know, like a really, a, there's sometimes you'd watch Italy playing in the sort of the 90s Serie A, which is what, you know, obviously I grew up on that era and watching defensive play conducted with real beauty. And this sounds quite sad. But there are times when I'll sort of sit and watch old like Maldini highlights and just watch him screen the back four, marshal the back four, uh, Baresi, you know, the offside line, just watching how they made moves and watching Benucci and Chiellini felt like a throwback to that time. Mm. You know, because, you know, Serie A now is funny. It's like a goal fest, you know, mm. but that almost reminded me of like the, the defensive heyday that we grew up on. So yeah, that was, that was great to see. Are you going to talk about Pedri quick? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Luis Enrique said afterwards what he's seen from Pedri this tournament. He has not seen anyone do a, a World Cup, Euros or Olympics at his age. I think he meant for Spain specifically. Yeah. He finished the 90 minutes with 100% pass completion rate. I think it was the only player in the tournament to do so with that number of passes. I think 37 of those were in the opposition half. He misplaced two of his 67, I think, by the end of the 120 minutes. Like, I, I won't go too much into it because I wrote this for the piece uh, for The Ringer. So if you want to go to theringer.com forward slash soccer, go and check it. But one of the things I didn't say in there is that one of the most impressive things about Pedri, I think, in this tournament was that he and Koke brought the best out of Busquets that people have seen for a long, long time. Yes. And I think, if anything, it shows the importance of Barcelona getting that midfield right. Because they've got two of the three Spanish midfielders in that three. I think Frankie Dion can kind of do what Koke does. Yes. Different yes. skill sets, but I think he can kind of do that. Yeah. The fact that at 18 years old, nothing phases him. Because I think when players break through, you tend to see this um, a kind of like a bit of an over-willingness to, to prove that they belong yes. sometimes. And that's why you see such wildly inconsistent performances from players breaking through often. Pedri kind of looks like he doesn't really care what people think about him playing. They don't re- he doesn't really want to impress anyone. He just wants to do the right thing. Never in a rush. He reminded me of the Cruyff quote about like if you're, if you're ever sprinting on a football pitch, 
then you've mistimed your run or something like that. It was, I'm paraphrasing, but there's a kind of Cruyffian quote right. that's very much like that. But you rarely see him sprint, but yet he covers more ground than pretty much anyone else. Um, he's just never in a hurry, but always on the move. He's a new maestro, and like, and I, I'm so glad that he's now kind of crossed over. I don't think it's. I cannot explain to people when I saw the stat that he, you know, he hadn't considered the ball in the 90 minutes. I, I, I was genuinely like, I, I've never seen this before because a game of this intensity against that midfield against that midfield, which had done, just gone out and done that to Belgium. It had done that to Belgium. I don't have words for this. This was, I talk all the time about the most dominant midfield performance I've ever seen, which was Spain, Germany, World Cup 2010, semi-final. Chavi was astonishing, mm-hmm. astonishing, right? That's the only other performance I can remember of this level. And Chavi was several years older when he did that. Mm-hmm. This was a total... They'll teach this. They'll actually teach this performance. They'll use it as like, you know, those coaches' videos. This will be like a, a masterpiece. It's like, you know, and that sounds ridiculous. It's like, it's like George Michael writing Careless Whisper at 17. Like, it's like, you're not meant to be that good at songwriting yet. Pedri's not meant to be this good at writing scripts yet. He's not meant to be that good. It's just, it's wild, actually. Yeah, I just don't understand how you make it through 90 minutes and complete 55 out of 55 passes against that kind of midfield in that chaotic a game. Like we were talking about the game earlier on in like the first half and how it felt fraught. Right. Players were misplacing passes all over the pitch. And it was just like, how are you in the middle of, of all of this? And you really haven't. There was one he had towards the end of the 90 minutes, I think, which was, or it might have even been in the opening stages of extra time where he was kind of, looked like he was about to get tackled and rolled the ball through someone's legs to Olmo on the left-hand side. And it was just like, you're incredible. Like, you're just incredible. Like, you're on another level to what everyone else is doing at the moment. Against that midfield. Wild. It's wild. Unbelievable. But yeah, uh, hopefully the piece will be up by the time you read it, by the time you listen to this. So go and check me waxing lyrical about Pedro for a little bit, but Italy through to the final. Yes. Shout out to them. We'll hype them a little bit more on uh, Righty's House. We will. Quickly before we go. Yes. Let's talk about Copa America. Let's talk about it. Brazil, Argentina in the Copa America final. Wow. Messi with a chance to finally silence all of those Twitter boys. Yes, Once yes. Once and for all. Emmy Martinez with some... Like NBA a, level trash, NBA finals level like trash a, talk. You know, Hall of Fame. You know what they should do? You know, really people, you get those masterclass things. You should do masterclass, Emmy Martinez, shit talking. There was a lot going on in this shootout. There was so, a lot, man. So, Priscilla had gone through 1 0 against Peru in the, in the semi final. Um, Argentina won all against Colombia after extra time, winning 3 2 on penalties. There was a lot going on, and specifically what Martinez said to penalty takers. So, he saved three of the penalties. And what Messi was doing on the halfway line was super interesting. What, did the, what was the thing that Messi said to Yerry Mina? <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is the thing. So Martinez is basically talking to Mina as he approaches. So Yerry Mina approaches the spot. And I think the, the, the background to this is that Yerry Mina loves dancing after scoring uh-huh. when his team scores. And I think he danced during a shootout in a previous round of the same tournament. I think this had happened already. So there was a bit of needle there. He's approaching the spot and... Martinez says to him, I know where you're going to put this penalty. Watch, I'm going to eat you up. Saves the penalty. Mina is crestfallen and then it cuts the halfway line. And because there's so few players, there's so people in the ground, 
what Messi is saying is clearly audible and Messi is screaming, dance now, dance now. And the funny thing is like, they played together. Messi and Mina played together at Barcelona. So you're like, you really did not like this guy. Or if you, you know, you, you don't like, you really don't like him. And I think what was interesting about this was, and I'm writing a piece on this, people don't understand how angry Leo Messi is. Uh-huh. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but Messi is a really angry dude. And that, that Hulk thing, I'm writing about this, where there's a part in the Avengers where Hulk basically smashes this like alien ship. And he turns around and he goes, people ask me my secret. My secret is that I'm always angry. Messi's like much, much angrier than we give him credit. So that celebration he does in the Classico when he scores the winner and oh, holds his shirt, shirt up yeah. and he's soaking up the rage. And he's like, yeah, taste it. Or the story when Henri says Messi gets angry in training when his team is losing and just dribbles past everyone and scores. Like it's, it's there under the surface, but what's funny is people doubt that it's in there. They doubt his passion for Argentina. This man's played more games for Argentina than anyone. You think of the air miles he's clocked up and the criticism he's attracted. And there was a tweet going, yeah, we like to see this passion. We like to see Messi cares. And I'm like, why does he have to lose his composure on the halfway line to show you? Like, it's there in plain sight that Messi's playing with that level of intensity. Sometimes we're simple folk. We just want to see some trash talking. <laughs> like, we do, we do. <laughs> you know but, I mean? the, but the fact that Messi lent fully into it, like I've never seen him that. Yeah. That, I mean, he, he looked, he, it was, his mouth was like, what's that thing? What's that Sarlacc pit you have in Star Wars? They, they lower people. In. It looked like that. His mouth was like, like it's just, he looked genuinely, genuinely frightening actually for the first time in a while. So yeah, big for Argentina. And the thing for them is in this Copa final. So on paper, they're slightly overmatched, I would say. On paper, I look at the, the Brazil team, the cohesion it's played with, the previous, they're the holders. Brazil's best tournament. squad for a while. Brazil actually have a better team, I would say significantly better. And Messi, unfortunately, Messi is responsible, directly involved in nine out of their 11 goals so far. So they're relying on him far too much. And I mean, when are they not? That's the thing. And other players, other players in that squad are still missing big chances. You know, Angel Di Maria in this game as well, to mm. name just one. Brazil are the significant favourites in this final. Like, that has to be said because if Brazil win, there'll be a lot of talk about how Messi can't get it done, but the unit isn't, isn't the strongest. But you know, it's Messi. He could pull it off. They could pull it off. And here's about his supporting cast. They're not the most, they aren't the most distinguished supporting cast. Well, compared to like, let's see, the peak teams Messi's played with, but Rodrigo de Paul, he's got guts. Martinez has guts. Latino Martinez, outfield player, you know, they've got, they've got quality and it only needs a couple of them to catch fire. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited uh, we'll cover week. that on Monday, obviously, yeah, because the final's on the weekend as well. Um, yeah. When's your piece going up for that? Uh, it is going up on the Friday. Going up tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to get out of here. Don't forget, we've got another Writer's House coming up before the final. We will be back on Monday as well. Uh, we're playing out this episode on Jeffrey Landers one by one. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for our pieces going up about the Euros. You can check Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram. Check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Just search for Stadio Outros. And I reckon that's everything. Anything else, Musa? No, that's it. All good, all present and correct. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. Enjoy the finals, whoever you're rooting for. Yeah, we'll see you on Wright's House on Monday. See you then.